0: Let's open up in our Bibles to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter six. Now we're continuing in our study of the book of Ephesians, and we're all the way in chapter six. We've only been in it for two years. We're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, let's remember that our Ventura campus will be tuning into this message. Let them know that we love them, that we're with them. Give them a big love. Okay, as we get to chapter 6 now, we're looking at the section that talks about children and parents, okay? And the title of this message is Parenting is Tough. Amen. Can I get in it? There's an <laughs> Parenting is tough. Whether you're a new parent or an old parent, it is a tough gig. So we hope to receive some help from the Word of God this morning. Let's read the text, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. We'll pray and get into it. I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. All right, cool. (laughs) I like this, this is good. Verse one, children, obey your parents. Amen. Amen. Spoken like a true parent. (laughs) Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you'll have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Where's the amens? (laughs) Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. And we thank you that your word addresses our lives right where we are. As we already said, you care about our lives. You are infinitely and intimately concerned with them and every detail thereof. You're concerned with us as children, as parents, and all the phases in between. And we believe that your word is right, that it's true, that it's inerrant, that it's authoritative, that it's life-giving, that it corrects us, aligns us, teaches us, and instructs us, and that it's living and active and powerful and actually does something supernatural in us when we give ourselves to it. So help us do that. Holy Spirit, pray that you'd create in us a desire to obey you and your word in all things, and that we would endeavor in our lives to bring you glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's just get right into some of these details. It says, children, obey your parents. The Greek word used here for children denotes those who are still dependent on their parents. So they have not reached adulthood or they haven't been married, one or the other, still dependent on their parents. Now, many of you in this room are parents who are beyond this phase. You're you're, your children have moved out. And so you're thinking, okay, this is talking about young kids. So this doesn't apply to me. Listen to me. Those of you who have grown kids, what, what you may need to do in responding to the word of God today is you may need to repent. I, you're going to hear some stuff that's just hard as parents to hear. It's just, it's just hard. It's been hard for me this week going over these things. I've, I've had to repent several times. Some of your kids are already moved out of the house, and you're going to realize as we look at some of these things that, man, there are some ways that I jacked up my kids. <laughs> Key to the Christian faith is confession and repentance. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, 1 John nine. Repentance is a way that we enter into and continue into the Christian life. And we're called in the book of James to confess our sins one to another. Some of you may hear these things, you're thinking, man, I'm off the hook. My kids are already gone. Listen, you might have to go to your grown up kids and say, you know what? I'm sorry for those years. I'm sorry for that thing. You may have to repent before the Lord. Don't let it weigh you down with guilt. The Lord is able to restore the years that the locust has eaten. Maybe you made a big mess parenting. The Lord is able to redeem and heal and restore. But do you know how far it goes toward healing when we're willing to go to someone and say, I'm sorry for the way that I failed you in that. And there's not a parent among us who hasn't failed our children in some way. So there should be for the parents here a willingness to repent and confess and and be a part of the healing process in our kids. Some of you are not yet parents and you're going to hear this and you're thinking, okay, well, this is good. Someday I'll be a parent. I want to have kids and this will help me. You're not going to remember jack or squat from this sermon by the time you have kids. You're not going to remember it next week. But what you may remember is this. Some of you have deep wounds from your childhood, from your parenting. What you need to do is, is you're, you hear some of these things and you're thinking, my, my God, my dad wasn't that way. My, my mom wasn't that way. What you need to do is just take those things to Jesus who is the healer, the only healer. Don't become embittered toward your parents. That's that's not going to get you anywhere. Take those things toward Jesus and realize that God the Father is your perfectly perfect heaven father who never lets you down. And he's the only one. If your hope is in your mama and your daddy, you're going to be let down. Jesus is the only one who will never fail you. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so you may need to just take some of that stuff to Jesus this week. Now, having said that, I realize that none of us are perfect parents, right? None of us had perfect parents, except for me. Mine are seated in the back row. (laughs) I'm the only one with perfect parents. But nobody else had perfect parents. And I'm not a perfect parent. And man, I got to tell you, I struggled this week when I was studying this stuff. I was so convicted over and over again. I love what Paul does here. When he talks about children obeying his parents, he grounds it back in the 10 commandments, right? Honor your mother and father. What he's doing here is, is helping us to realize that parenting and being a child and obedience is an issue of human flourishing. The law was given and the Ten Commandments were given to help humanity to flourish, to show us what God is like, to show us where we fall short, to bring us up into some degree of consonance with the character and quality of God and therefore help humanity to flourish. Things like, you shall have no God before me, dealing with idolatry. Things like, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. All all that stuff, right, in the Ten Commandments is for human flourishing. Not only that, but it was given to Israel in order to endeavor to make Israel a faithful community of God that would then be a witness in the world of God. And so it is with the church, right? We're called to be a faithful community. In this section of scripture here in, book of, in the book of Ephesians is Paul talking about that very thing. Since we live in wicked days and times of darkness, he says, let's learn how to walk not as foolish but as wise, making the most of our days. And so he launches in chapter five into these things, be filled with the spirit, be subject to one another. And then he talked about husbands and wives and how that plays out, how we can image the quality of God and faithful community into a fallen world in our marriages. Now he's talking about how we do that in parenting. So he grounds it in this deep thing of the 10 commandments. It has to do with human flourishing and faithful community and witness. And the idea of, Honor your mother and father. This is a first commandment with a promise, right? That it may go well with you and you may live long on the earth. Isn't necessarily a one-to-one promise. Doesn't mean if you just obey your parents, you're gonna live to an old age. That, That hasn't shown to be true. He's talking about communities flourishing. He's talking about good parenting and obedience of children has to do with a whole community and generations flourishing. You see, there's much at stake here. Witness, faithful community, human flourishing. And so as we think about children obeying, and we're just gonna spend a moment on that and spend most of our time beating up on moms and dads. I'll say this, the child that doesn't learn to obey his parents is not likely to grow up to obey any authority. Most importantly, God. You see, what, what we're doing when we're trying to teach our children obedience, and they have to learn obedience, you understand that? They don't have to learn rebellion, do they? new moms you know that baby doesn't have to learn rebellion doesn't have to learn to cry doesn't have to learn to be selfish we don't have to learn any of those things we come out selfish little beasts (laughs) what we we have to learn is obedience and what's at stake in teaching our children to obey is is when we instill in them that sense then hopefully they grow up to obey god It's not about just obey me because I'm your mom and dad. The goal is to raise disciples of Jesus Christ. We want our babies to grow up as men and women who obey and submit to the authority of Christ. And that starts with obedience in the home. You see, much is at stake. If humanity flourishes when children obey and there's faithful community witness when children, children obey, then parents must be faithful to consistently teach them to obey. Seems like a no-brainer, but here's the deal. Parenting is hard, and parenting is hard work. Disciplining our children in a consistent, fair, godly manner is tremendously difficult. It's time-consuming. It's a full-on commitment. Therefore, many parents just don't do it, at least on a consistent basis, because it's hard. It takes real effort. It takes real time. And we're so distracted with so many things as parents. And who suffers in that is the children, right? Then the community, and then witness, and then humanity. Listen to what what Warren Wiersbe says to us parents. For the most part, children do not create problems, they reveal them. You, You get that? So when we look at our kids and we're like, you're such a rotten little disobedient beast, what's going on with you? For the most part, some are just that way, but for the most part, he says, (laughs) children don't create problems, they reveal them, namely in our parenting, how given we are to that. And we discover that parents who cannot consistently discipline their children seem to also have a hard time consistently disciplining themselves. And... When it comes to trying to get our kids to obey, obedience has to be modeled. Kids need to look and say, there's, there's mom and dad, and they know how to obey, whether it's the authorities, the land, but, but most importantly, God. That they look at your life when you're saying, listen, here's why you need to obey. They say, yeah, I know what obedience looks like because I see you obey God. You see, that's where this thing comes from. I'm so convicted even right now. Yesterday, uh, I was taking my son and a buddy of his surfing and we were at my parents' house and we were loading up surfboards and kids. And I have this old uh, 69 Chevy pickup and they wanted to be in the back of it. What kid doesn't want to be in the back of a pickup? But of course, you know, that's illegal. And my son said, can we ride in the back? And I said, well, you have to lay down because it's not legal. (laughs) It's not good. It's not funny. It's bad. And my dad was standing there. He was like, really? You're teaching them to break the law? And thankfully, one of my friends was there, an elder in this church who said, oh, we're not legalists. It's fine. Put him in there. <laughs> don't, don't tell. Shh. Don't tell anybody. Obedience to authority must be modeled. There was a, a clear failure on my part. But you see, kids are smarter than we think, right? They, they keep track of that stuff. They're, they're quick to think, well, daddy doesn't obey. Well, why does daddy tell me to do this? And so daddy doesn't obey. That, that begins to get difficult. And what happens then is that we start to provoke our children to ang- To anger. There is the, the turn in the text. We're told as parents, do not provoke your children to anger. There's a parallel passage in the book of Colossians. that says it a little differently, Colossians 3.21. Do not exasperate your children, that they may not lose heart. Now, this is tough to handle because usually we are the ones as parents who are exasperated. We are the ones who are provoked to anger. What does it mean to exasperate? It means to irritate intensely, to infuriate. You see, what we want the Bible to say is, children, don't exasperate your parents. Stop irritating them. But it doesn't say that. It says, parents, do not exasperate your children. That's interesting. Don't provoke them to anger. To provoke is to stimulate or cause a strong emotion, a reaction in someone. The idea here is that godly, faithful parenting avoids causing our kids to seethe with resentment and irritation. Now, in my mind are a whole bunch of times in the last few months where I've done that to my son. My son is 12 years old. Okay, you know about a 12-year-old? Junior high. Need I say more? Junior high. Junior high. My son is a good kid, but he's in junior high, right? When you get to junior high, the brain shuts off, the body takes over and weird things, just craziness, junior high. And I've I've never had a junior hire before. So I don't know what I'm doing. And so as I read the word, I realize how often I make him seethe with resentment and my own parenting. Not that it's, you know, not that he's dismissed from being angry when he's sinned or when things are wrong or he's breaking the rules. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about style, quality, character of parenting. What provocation and exasperation look like in parenting is a few things. Number one, making unreasonable demands on the child. Unreasonable demands on the child. Humiliating a child. Shaming them. It manifests no loving understanding of a child's unique personality, right? How often do you hear from a preteen, you don't understand me? It's the job of the parent to understand. It's marked by constant nagging. Irritates them by, this is an important one, by perpetual fault finding. I want us to turn to Psalm 103, And in turning to Psalm 103, I want us to see this beautiful explanation of God's love for us as our heavenly father. And I want that to begin to form our thoughts about right parenting. God is our father, as our ultimate parent. And the way that he deals with us, what we can't do is divorce our parenting from what we see in the model of God the father. That is the model. So here's a great explanation of it in Psalm 103 verses 8 through 14. Listen what it says about our Heavenly Father. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us, As we deserve. For his unfailing love. Toward those who fear him. Is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins. He's talking about through faith in Christ. As far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord. Is like a father to his children. Tender and compassionate. To those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers. That we are. Our only dust. See the way that we're fathered by God when we come into the family of faith, when we're brought into, adopted into His family by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Just that expression of compassion and mercy not accusing us unceasingly. He he sees our hearts. He knows the beginning from the end. He sees everything about our lives, but there's this overwhelming kindness and compassion directed toward us by the Father. It doesn't mean that he doesn't point out right and wrong. He clearly does. There's tremendous truth, but there's tremendous grace in the way that we are fathered by God. And what this does Is make us happy. Right? The opposite of make us angry, the way that God deals with us brings joy in the Holy Spirit to our hearts. Because we know what utter failures we are. We know what rebels we are. We know how far we fall short. And yet every time we come to the Father through Christ, there's mercy, compassion. His mercies are new every morning. He's slow to anger with us. What does that do to the sinner? makes us happy. It gives us joy. In the same way, the word of God is telling us, parents, do not provoke your children to anger. Why? As it said in the Colossians text, that they may not lose heart. Or as it says in the King James Version, that they might not be discouraged. What do we do as a Christian? When we haven't been behaving before the Lord in the way that we want, we, we, we go to Jesus, right? And we ask for forgiveness, fresh forgiveness and grace and mercy from him. What does that do? Again, it encourages us. But when we fail to realize the gospel in our own lives, we get discouraged, right? We get weighed down with the weight of our sins. We begin to feel guilty. We shame all those things that are dealt with at the cross of Jesus Christ that we might experience the love of the father. We're encouraged by his mercy and compassion and his truth in the same way. Don't exasperate your children lest they be discouraged. You know what it feels like to be discouraged when you don't measure up. The gospel is what deals with that for us. Or as it says in the New Living Translation in the Colossians text, they will become discouraged and quit trying. What a sad image of a kid who says, I'm Dad, I'm never going to live up to what you have in mind. I'm never going to be good enough for you. Discouraged and quit trying, causing someone to lose confidence or enthusiasm. Here's how this plays out in the seasons of life. When our children are young, it sometimes seems as if they can do no wrong. Have you ever had that experience when you're maybe having dinner with another family and they've got a young child and the thing is a monster? And they're looking, going, oh, isn't she cute? She's the sweetest little thing, you did you little sweetheart. And you're like, no, that's a little beast. <laughs> when our children are young, they often in our minds can do no wrong. That's a, a a normal parent thing. But when they get older, it begins to seem sometimes as if they can't do right. Right? Neither are true, of course. It's not that your child can't do any wrong. It's not that your child can't do anything right. And in the older years, when it seems as though they can't do anything right, this is when we most easily provoke them to anger or exasperate them. And we do so with constant criticism. Let me tell you why we criticize our kids so harshly. Because they are a mirror of you and me. And our sin always looks worse on someone else than it does on ourselves. So we get real critical with our kids. I, I want to remind us of Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us. Is anybody here happy that the Father does not nitpick you? He does not deal harshly with us as we Deserve, the text says. Here's what one author says. A child learns what he lives. If he or she lives with constant criticism, then he does not learn responsibility. Rather, he learns to condemn himself and to find fault with others. He learns to doubt his own judgment, to disparage his own ability, and to distrust the intentions of others. And above all else, he learns to live with the continual expectation of impending doom. Now what that is, is a picture of humanity under the weight of the law, right? Sense of impending doom. The gospel is good news. For us to hear it as good news, we have to be aware of the bad news. The bad news is that God has a standard and we've all radically violated it. And that standard is God's law. And all of us has fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are condemned under the law. And sometimes we feel the weight of that through guilt and shame and condemnation. That's a picture of humanity under the law apart from the gospel. But then the gospel comes and frees us from the penalty of the law. It frees us from the weight of the law, from the guilt of the law, from the shame that comes with having violated it before God because Christ took our punishment on the place, on the cross, that we might have new life through the forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. And what we have to do is let the gospel form our parenting. You understand that? Let the gospel form our parenting. And what the gospel doesn't do is constantly nitpick our failures. In fact, in some unbelievable way, he removes them as far as the east is from the west, buries them in the deepest sea. The certificate of debt, which was hostile, which had our deeds of sins on it, he nailed to the cross and took it out of the way, the book of Colossians says. And that same tension that exists in all of our minds all the time of law and grace, the gospel, that same tension that all is grace and I'm forgiven by grace, but there's still the weight of the law. I've been removed from the penalty of it, from the power of it, but God still has standards. That, that tension of truth and grace that John 1 says was manifest in Christ that we feel in our own lives is the same tension of parenting. Finding somehow by the help of the Holy Spirit the way to show the truth of what's going on in our kid's life, but with tremendous grace and compassion. There's a balance it is to be struck. Now, I find in my life that this is most difficult when I'm most tired. Anybody here as a parent ever get tired? Right, Most of us have jobs and they're hard jobs and we work and we work a lot and we do lots of different things. We're all hardworking, busy people. And I find that when I'm busy and I've been working hard that I sometimes get moody and short and demanding. Am I the only one? (laughs) And, And the first place that this comes out is with our children. Because it's just the easiest place to send it. Right? We don't want to send it to our peers because they would be deeply offended and that's, that's harder to deal with. We're, we're, we're too sort of civilized for that. We don't want to send it to our spouse because then we're in the doghouse. So we, we reserve it there. So the first place that that moodiness often finds an outlet is toward our kids. And what the scripture is saying is we need to be careful with our kids not to provoke them to anger or exasperate them when we ourselves are in a place of angry exasperation. Those are the times where we need to recognize the help of the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. And when we're on the way home from work and we know the kids are gonna be there and they need attention, that we're able to pray a prayer, Lord, thank you that you're merciful and compassionate with me. And thank you for the person of the Holy Spirit that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit that when I walk through the door of my home, I can have mercy and compassion on my kids. I can be more like you, Father, as you are to me with my kids. That's an impossibility without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why this whole section of scripture comes on the hills of Paul saying, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. What is it gonna look like? How he explained marriage in the previous chapter. Now he's talking about how it's gonna look like between parents and kids. Here's what happens sometimes in our moodiness and tiredness is that we swing from Extreme permissiveness, sometimes we're just too tired to enforce the rules or explain the rules. To extreme legalism, right? Sometimes we're just too tired to really deal with the intricacies of what's going on with our kids. And so according to our moods, sometimes we swing like, yeah, yeah, whatever, fine, just do that. To when they come and they ask us, and instead of careful consideration, it's just no. Oh, but dad, I'm just going. no. Well, dad, I just was... I said no. Am I the only one for whom it goes like that? So we swing according to our own frailties, which God is aware of, from extreme permissiveness, yeah, whatever, that's fine, to extreme legalism, unconsidered no's. This is according to mood and convenience, but parenting is not about convenience. It is the most inconvenient thing on earth. (laughs) Ask my pregnant wife. (laughs) And this can happen moment to moment, day to day. But in the seasons of life again, it usually happens in the transition from when they're young to when they're teenagers. When kids are young, it's so time consuming to consistently discipline them. Right, especially when they start to walk and they're getting into things and like everything is a no, right? But we get so sick of saying no and we know we can't say no to everything, but everything is a no. They're like running around. They're like, ooh, glass. Psh, ooh, popsicle. psh, Ooh, toilet. Ooh, cat. Put in. Man, just right when they first get to that age. So time consuming. And, and, and in those times, the consequences seem minor. Oh, they, they ate too many popsicles. No big, ah, they just broke a vase, ah, they just flushed the cat down the toilet. (laughs) Which is fine. (laughs) Fine. It takes so much energy to consistently discipline, and the consequences seem so minor at that time that listen to me very carefully now. In those early years, we often let much slide. Here's when that becomes a problem, is when they start to mature. And they have not learned obedience, which is always learned. And all of a sudden, when they get to junior high and high school, there's nothing small about the consequences. And what we do then is we swing back the other way toward being overbearing. You see the mess that we made? When they were young, we were too tired to deal with the hard work of teaching them obedience. And now that we're seeing the consequences of that, we come down super hard. It exasperates. It it provokes to anger. We haven't taught them that all the way through. And now it's like, oh my gosh, and wham, we just deal with it so harshly. We tend to overcorrect. Here's the parenting challenge from day one until the end. Have clear standards and consistently discipline your child. The model for this is, of course, God. Once again, Hebrews chapter 12. We'll have it on the screen. Here's the example of God our Father. The scriptures say to us, and have you entirely forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you, his children? He said, my child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you. And don't be discouraged when he corrects you for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes those he accepts as his children, right? It's punishment sometimes. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined, right? That's we we take those kids away from their parents, He's treating you as his own children. Next verse. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children after all. God's discipline is always right and good for us because it means we will share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a quiet harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. You see, God trains us with discipline consistently. There's clear standards. And he disciplines us continually. He trains us. And the fruit of it is the peaceful fruit of righteousness, as it says in the New American Standard of that passage. God disciplines his children. His discipline is evidence of his love. It causes us to grow correctly. Now... When it comes to children, God has given kids a conscience. And they need parameters in which they begin, can begin to exercise that conscience and develop properly. Kids need parameters. When kids have parameters, they develop proper sense of self. Okay? That's why God gives us parameters. Look at what one study found. Parents of high-esteem children were stricter in their approach to discipline. These homes demanded accountability, responsibility, and self-control. Those were high-esteem children. Parents of low-esteem children, on the other hand, created insecurity by their permissiveness. These children felt the rules weren't enforced because nobody cared enough to get involved. Lack of standards and a failure to discipline causes a child to lose heart. And we're doing our kids a huge disservice by refusing to discipline them, either because we imagine themselves to be their friends. We're not their friends. We're their moms and dads. Or because we're moody or we're tired or it's too hard. Who suffers in that? The kids. Proverbs 19 says to us, Discipline your children while there is hope. If you don't, you will ruin their lives. When is there hope? When the issue is just popsicles and flushing cats down the toilet. That's when there's hope. there's hope. Proverbs 13. If you refuse to discipline your children, it proves you don't love them. You see, the pause right there. The issue is often that I love myself more than I love my son. I want to do what I'm doing in that moment. Or I'm just caught up in my own emotions at that moment. I don't want to deal with explaining it to him. Or I'm too tired to open up the scriptures and walk him through that. Proves I don't love him. There are times where I love myself clearly more than I love him, evidence of my failure to carefully discipline. It's hard. If you refuse to discipline your children, it proves you don't love them. If you love your children, you'll be prompt to discipline them. Challenged by that. Proverbs 23 Don't fail to correct your children. They're not going to die if you spank them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. I know it's popular in our culture not to spank your kids. I'm going to get in a lot of trouble here. The Bible says to spank your kids. All the spankers are like, yeah, line them up. Let's get her done. Just I got a paddle. I got a hairbrush. (laughs) Here's some encouragement for you. My mom used to break wooden spoons on my butt. Break them. (laughs) Snap. she just get bigger spoons. See how I turned out? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Do not fail to correct your children. They won't die if you spank them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. Listen, when your kid is running into the street and all you're willing to do is say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and they continually do that, a spanking which speaks to a kid on a radical level may very well save their lives. Just saying. Just saying. Proverbs 22, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Proverbs 29, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. So again, Ephesians 6, 4, bring them up in the discipline discipline And instruction of the Lord. Now, when it says bring them up, this is getting back to the idea of how God fathers us. When it says bring them up, the idea there is tenderness. The phrase literally means to nourish and to feed. It's it's the idea of tender nurturing, cherishing, nourishing by speaking to our children with gentleness. Again, Psalm 103 does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. He's tender and compassionate. I'm so ashamed of the way that I speak to my son sometimes, a tone that I use, realizing that my heavenly father never uses that tone with me. And my sins are infinitely worse before him than my sons are before me. Listen to what Isaiah 42.3 said the ministry of Jesus would look like. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He's just gentle with those who are fragile. Children need to be hugged and kissed and held. Our Heavenly Father's example is when the prodigal son, who was completely disobedient, who had shamed him, who was filthy, who had sinned in every way, came home, the father ran, fell on him, and embraced him and began to kiss his neck. Literally in the Greek, he kissed him over and over and over and over. And we know that when Christ tells us that story, that's the picture of our heavenly father. And the only time that God is ever pictured to be in a hurry in scripture is when he's running to the dirty, broken son to embrace him with hugs and kisses. Children need to be told, I love you. Think of the example of the heavenly father when Christ was beginning to do his ministry and the voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Think of how the father said, I love you and having given his only son for you. For God so loved the world that he gave. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, demonstrating the love of the father. Children need to be praised. Think of the voice of the heavenly father coming down at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, not only saying, this is my beloved son, but in whom I am well pleased. The father knew the value of affirmation of even Christ, his son. We need to affirm our kids. They need to be heard and listened to. Think of the example of the father. The psalmist tells us repeatedly that God listens to our prayers. He listens to us. And they need to be invited into the world. You know what happens in salvation? Colossians chapter one says that we are delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son. That we are invited into the world of God, so to speak. That we become a kingdom of priests to him as his children. He invites us into the depth of his world. Children need to be invited into our worlds. Tenderness. Discipline, as it says in Ephesians 6, 4, speaks of physical and otherwise. I'm sure we have all sorts of creative ideas about that. And instruction Speaks of verbal instruction and warning. Literally, when it says, instruct them in the Lord, that word means to place before their mind. Place before their mind the truth of God and the scriptures. This is the parents' responsibility. Last scripture that we'll look at, go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Instructing them in the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses speaking to the children of Israel here. It says in verse 1 These are the commands, decrees, and regulations of the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that the lord your god commanded me to teach you you must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy and you and your children and grandchildren must fear the lord your god as long as you live if you obey all his decrees and commands you will enjoy a long life there's that promise of human flourishing and community fruitfulness verse three listen closely israel and be careful to obey Then all will go well with you and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Okay, he's talking about them flourishing in their life with God. Verse four, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Here's what commitment looks like. Verse seven, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. There is the call and the mandate on parents. Instruct your children in the Lord. Father, mother, are you teaching your children about the truth of God, about scripture, about the gospel, right and wrong, the identity and the work of Christ. Listen, when you bring them to Sunday school, what that is is partnering with you as parents. The primary responsibility for your children knowing about the Lord is upon us. It happens in the home, right? He says, speak about these things. Tell your kids about them over and over when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you go to bed, and when you wake up. The primary goal of parenting is to teach our children to be followers of Jesus Christ. It's the primary goal. And in light of the details that are inherent in the text, that has to begin when the child is young. The Jesuits used to say that if they could have the commanding influence in the life of a child until that child was seven years old, the child was theirs. By then the child's character was formed and his convictions were embedded and his course was set. Listen to what they said. No amount of contrary teaching would greatly alter the basic bent of that child. See, it's it's not for later. It's for now. Now, of course, Jesus could change everything and someone could be the most horrific child and they're saved by Jesus Christ and everything changes. But generally speaking, we are to begin to teach our children the truth of the word of God young. Let me just recommend a resource. um, The Jesus Storybook Bible. You guys heard of this? Anybody heard of this? Raise your hands if you've heard of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Oh, that's wonderful. Good job. Okay, get it. I was going to give this big sell for it, but you guys are already hip to that gig. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Last thing I'll say is this. That requires that we're present in their lives. To not be present in their lives is to provoke them to anger and exasperate them. Let me just read this. It's been estimated that fathers spend an average of 37 seconds a day with their infant sons and one hour a day with their adolescents. These figures are for intact families. After divorce, 50% of adolescent children have no contact, 30% have sporadic contact, and 20% see their father once a week or more. Average it all out, and fathers spend approximately 10 minutes a day with their children. It's just not going to cut it. Here's our model. Scripture teaches that God is infinitely and intimately concerned with our lives. That he's not removed. He's not distant. Scripture teaches that he's near. And that he's infinitely and intimately concerned with all the details of our lives as our heavenly father. He is then the example for us as mothers and fathers. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 139, 18. How precious are your thoughts toward me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, you are still with me. Just the idea of this imminence, this, this presence of God in our lives. As adults, we rely on it, right? We, we count on it. We want to know that we have a Father in heaven who is near This is the mandate for parenting. Jesus said, Your father's so near, he's so aware, he's so loving, and he's so concerned that he knows when a sparrow falls from its nest. And you're way more important than many sparrows. Your father knows. He's intimately and infinitely involved. You see, what children need is you, they need you, they don't need more stuff. They need us. And sometimes that will mean taking an interest, and this is what I'm teaching myself, and things that they're interested in that we're not interested in. See, it would never even occur to us when there's things that we love and we're excited about and we're having fun with that God doesn't like those things, right? Unless they're sin, of course. God hates them, duh. But come on, come with me now. It would never even occur to us like if I'm out surfing, I would never think, oh, God doesn't like surfing. Like I, I, I would just, I just assume, okay, I just assume that my heavenly father in some way cares about the things that I care about. That's a thought that's formed by scripture. I'm so challenged as my son is 12 to begin to be more present and take an interest in what a 12-year-old boy is interested in. Sometimes those interests intersect, Right? Sometimes what dad and him are into, we're right here. Sometimes even the way that dad and a junior higher think, we're just like right there. We're just (laughs) connecting. There's other times where they're a world apart, as was the chasm between us and our heavenly father. But Christ bridged it, humbled himself to the point of obedience on the cross that we might be brought together in intimacy with our Heavenly Father and in the presence of Him and our lives and His infinite concern, everything is made right. The call is the same on our lives. Lord, thank you for your tender and compassionate example. Thank you, Lord, that you know how weak we are. You remember that we're only dust. And thank you that somehow through the cross, you're never exasperated by us. How wonderful. We confess that we're far from that in our own parenting, and we would just ask the Holy Spirit you would help us. So much is at stake. Faithful witness, fruitful community, human flourishing, and all the unmentionable things that happen in our world, so much is at stake. Thank you, Abba Father, for your great love for us and that in your love you've provided the person of the Holy Spirit who leads us, guides us, teaches us, and empowers us to be faithful and fruitful in our lives. Help us in that with our parenting. And as we said at the beginning, Lord, for parents, including me in this room, who need to repent, help us to be quick to repent to you and our kids. Thank you. That you gave humanity the words, I'm sorry and I was wrong. In those words, our whole relationship with you starts. Thank you that you've given us those words, not just to say to you, but to one another. And others of us, just lots of hurt in this room from the failures of moms and dads. Thank you that you have redeemed our lives, Lord. Thank you that you are our Father, that you have not left us as orphans, but you've adopted us and made us your own. That you're never far off and you'll never leave us or forsake us and your love will never be exhausted. Pray for those who have wounds that are hard to deal with for moms and dads. The Holy Spirit, you'd come and minister the love of the Father to them. There'd be healing in this place. You're the God of all comfort and you're the God who heals. That there would be healing in this place. Save us from bitterness where Satan wants us to live. Save us from passing on those things to our own kids. Bring us to a place before you where we might receive healing. Thank you that you love us, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our lives together. In Jesus' name, amen.